All right, so I tried to give you a head start earlier. Um, we are going to be in Psalm 105 this morning. Psalm 105. We just finished up in going through the letters of John, and um, we're kind of transitioning into something a little bit new over the next couple weeks. Um, so the next couple weeks here at CRC, the next three weeks, we are going to be talking a lot about looking forward, looking forward to the upcoming weeks and months and years and, and how God might have us fulfill the mission that he has given this local church. The elders, we've been meeting for a couple of months now, just praying and talking and praying and, and, and seeking what, it, what is the, the vision that we, that we are to follow here at CRC. What, what, how is it that we can, can fulfill what God has set before us? And we're going to spend three weeks kind of just trying to cast this vision and then talking practically, what does this mean? How are we to do this? And, and I'm really excited that, to, to do this and to spend time as a church talking not just big picture vision, but practically speaking, what it looks like on the ground, what it looks like in this room, what it looks like going out. And we're going to spend three weeks doing that. But that's next week. We're going to start that next week. So please, please try to be here for the next three weeks. If there's any weeks you're going to miss in the next year, don't let them be the next three weeks. Because we serve a really big God, and I'm really excited to see all that he's going to do. But before we start thinking ahead, before we start looking down the road, what I want to do today is, is to stop and look backwards. To stop and look at all that God has done. In the, in, in the life of CRC, in, in our own lives, and all that God has done. And I want us to see God's faithfulness to us. And that lead us to praise Him. And that lead us to praise Him. Because this, this attitude of praise, this attitude of thanksgiving, this attitude of, this attitude of gratitude, that wasn't intentional, but like it's all through Scripture. It's all through Scripture. You see Abraham. You see Moses. You see Ezekiel. You see, you see David. You see New Testament. Peter, Paul, all of them saying, look what God has done. Not just what they hope to see God do, what God can do, but turning around and saying, look what God has already done. And so I want us to also do this. So what I want to do first is read through Psalm 105. It's lengthy. Um, it's going to take me a minute to read through it. But then I want to talk about just the context of Psalm 105 specifically. So we're going to kind of walk back through it um, about what is actually, what do those words say? But then I want to switch and talk about, okay, so what, what is our response to that? What is, what, what do we do with that? So let's just go ahead and read Psalm 105. This is um, the psalmist, um, likely David, saying, writing about the history of Israel, all that God has done. And as we read through these 44, 45, there's a lot, 40, 45 verses, I want you to pay attention to all the times it says what he has done, what God has done. It's over and over and over again. It says, he did this, he did that. There's only one instance, and I think it's in verse 20. 1 and 22, when it says he, and it's not talking about God. Every other time, it's saying, look what God has done. So pay attention to that. I'm going to start in verse 1. 
Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make his deeds known among the people. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory to his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenants forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. Why then, when they were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, He had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters, his neck was put in a collar of iron, until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord over his house and ruler of all his possessions, to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham, and the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his signs among them and miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark. They did not rebel against his words. He turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die. Their lands swarm with frogs, even in the chambers of their kings. He spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout their country. He gave them hail for rain and fiery lightning bolts throughout their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke, and the locusts came, young locusts without number, which devoured all the vegetation in their land and ate up the fruit of the ground. He struck down all the firstborn in their land, the firstfruits of all their strength. And he brought out Israel with silver and gold, and there was none among his tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for dread of them had fallen upon it. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give them light by night. They asked, and he brought quail and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river, for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing. And he gave them the land of the nations, and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil, that they might observe, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Did you get all of that? All what God had done. He did it. He did it. He did it. Look at all that God had done over and over and over again. I'm going to take a drink, so hold on. So the first point 
that I want to make this morning. Actually, it's the first suggestion that I want to make to you as individuals and also to us as a church. Is that we would be thankful that God is sovereign. That we would be thankful that God is sovereign. And I know that sovereign is this buzzword in Christianity. It's used all the time. It's for any number of things. So I want to make sure that we know when I say sovereign, I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm talking about. Am I talking about salvation, that God is sovereign over salvation? Yes, but I want to zoom out. When, I, when I'm saying that God is sovereign, what I'm saying is that God is sitting on his throne and not one thing that occurs is outside of his sovereign control and sovereign plan. That God is in control of all. That nothing that happens is not ultimately leading to his holy, perfect will. Listen, I know that that can mean that can raise all sorts of questions that can cause us to wonder all sorts of things, and it should. But I want to walk through Psalm 105 again, not not read it straight through again. But I think that we'll see see what I just said over and over and over again. Verse six: O offspring of Abraham, his servant; children of Jacob, his chosen ones. I think it's easy to miss this right off the bat, the family of, of Abraham. That they were the chosen people, the ones that God had chosen among all the peoples of the earth. That they were not just this one family, that they were the, the family. If you read the end of Genesis 10, the, after the flood, Noah's family, it says they just spread out. They multiply, they became like nations. But God chose Abraham. God did not just do this on a whim. He didn't just randomly choose. It wasn't because Abraham looked great, his family was powerful. That's not why. He chose Abraham because he wanted to, because he, just, he decided to set his affections upon them. And I think it's easy to think that this plan came about after Genesis 3, when the fall of man, when sin entered the world, that's not when this plan started. Ephesians 1 says, before the foundations of the world, God had declared this, to set his love, to set his affections, to set his desires on Abraham and on his family and to make his name great through that one family. All of Psalm 105 shows God sovereignly preserving his people, sovereignly leading his people, doing that all over and over and over again. Over and over and over again. We're going to fly through this, so, so hold on. Look at verse 7. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenants forever, the word that he commanded. For a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as a portion for an inheritance. Again, chosen, the family of Abraham, for his chosen people, to give the land of Canaan, to give this land. But there is a lot of stuff that goes on in between there. 
I mean, Exodus through Joshua, you just read that. It's this whirlwind of, of events. And, and Psalm 105 runs through a lot of them. But it, it all be started with God's covenant with Abraham. Now look at verse 16. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all the supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. It's easy to read the story of Joseph and think that it's just this big tragedy. That, just to give a brief, 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 I'm going to way simplify this, but like Joseph being very disliked by his brothers, they sell him into slavery, into Egypt, tell his dad that he died, sell him that he becomes a slave in Egypt, ends up in prison for something he didn't do. Things are looking really, really bad for him. Again, way simplifying. Joseph favored by Pharaoh, rises up to be second in command, is in charge of all of the provisions and all of the food in Egypt. And then when there's a famine on the land, Israel has to come, this family has to come to Joseph for provision. And then the, then the family ends up moving to Egypt. Way simplified. Way simplified. But notice what, notice what it says. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all the supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them. It's really easy for me to read the, the account of Joseph and think like, wow, it's a good thing God had sent Joseph to Egypt. It's a good thing when that famine happened to strike that Joseph was already there. But that's not what this says. The famine did not occur and God be like, oh, good good thing this worked out. God had sent Joseph to Egypt. God sent a famine on the land that led his people there to Egypt. This was not a happy accident. This was God sovereignly leading, making his divine purposes happen. Look at verse 20, look at verse 23. Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned to the land of Ham, and the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. So God had, the, the people of Israel had, had come to Egypt. We've kind of said in the past that they, God kind of incubated them there. This the small family, small family, of 70 people had come into Egypt. And God had just multiplied. He said he made them fruitful. They're having lots of babies. But then he grew them into a great nation. He made them fruitful. He made them stronger than their foes. Which leads right to 25, verse 25. He turned their hearts, the Egyptians, to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. This is a hard one on multiple accounts. But he turned their hearts to hate his people. The Egyptians, seeing the great number of Israelites, begin to hate the people. They said that they forced hard labor on them. You see, you see that through Exodus. But this was also exactly God's plan. We can talk about the implications of this another time. Maybe that's a good CG conversation. But then in verse 26 through 36, we see the, the, the plagues. And we're, I'm not going to go through them one by one but also those going to accomplish God's plan. Verse 37. 
Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold. He had grown this family that he had chosen. From 70, it says, over a million men. So we're looking at multiple million people in all that he led out of Egypt. Then verse 39. I'm going to read 39 through 43, actually. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give them light by night. They asked, and he brought them quail and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river, for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. Again, God remaining faithful. And if you, again, if you read through Exodus, I've been reading this in my, in my own time, like Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, I've been reading through this, and it's just like, remember, during this time, the people were not faithful. The people continued to chase other gods. They continued to lust after carved images. They continued to disobey. Yet God continued to be faithful. God continued to provide He was faithful in spite of their unfaithfulness. Verse 44, He gave them the lands of the nations, and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil. Through all of this, God was faithful to the covenant, to the promise that he had made with Abraham to give them this land. God continued to do things one after another to accomplish his will. And as, as the psalmist recounts this, it leads to the last three verses, the last three words of the chapter. Praise the Lord. All of these examples, looking back and saying, look what God has done. He's done this. He's done this. He led them out of Egypt. He provided the manna. He provided the cloud. He provided the fire. He had done all these things. Look at what God had done. Praise the Lord. I thought I was going to fly through it. Didn't go word by word. Going to flew through that. But do you see it over and over and over again? Saying, look what God has done. He did this. He did that. God's sovereign control and love for his people is what leads them to praise the Lord. Like, don't take that lightly. God is the one doing it that leads them to praise the Lord. Like, what part of that can the Israelites claim? Can they claim the plagues? Can they claim the famine? Can they claim the cloud in the sky? Can they claim the fire, the manna? None of that. That's not them doing that. That was God and God alone providing for his people. So what about us? We're not Israelites, right? Why would we spend this morning in Psalm 105 looking at God's faithfulness to his nation of Israel? We could get into a big conversation on Old Testament Israel, New Testament church. I'm not going to. But regardless of this, here's what I can say. If you are saved, if your faith is in Christ, 
then God chose to save you, to give you salvation. Through Christ's work on the cross, not by anything that you had done, not by your purposes, not because that's what you had planned since you were a baby. No, because he wanted you. Listen, God's provision for his people did not stop after Psalm 105. Like after this psalm was written, God's provision did not just stop. Because all of this was just a foreshadow of God's ultimate provision. It was just a glimmer of the way that God was going to provide for his people. The leaders they had, the great leaders they had in Moses, in Abraham, in Joshua, all these were just a glimmer of the one who was greater. Because God's provision... His greatest provision was not manna. His greatest provision is not a cloud or a fire or water or any of that. But God's greatest provision is Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross. Met every need once and for all. Jesus. Way better than Moses. Read through Hebrews. Look at these two examples. Ephesians 1. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Then Peter, writing primarily to non Jews, says in 1 Peter 2 9 through 10, But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As Christians, we get to rejoice in this. Once we had no hope, once we had, in, we were in darkness until he called us into his marvelous light. Until he chose to adopt us as sons and daughters. Which for Ephesians 1 says, was, that was before the foundation of the world. That's what God had already chosen to do. And that is where our hope must be. And for those that say, well, my hope is not in Christ. That's not what my hope is. I urge you to see the faithfulness of God, to see what Christ has done, to see that Jesus went to the cross to pay a penalty for sin that you could not pay. That Jesus is the ultimate provision of God. So again, what is our response? As you read Psalm 105, what is your response? I think that just like the psalm, just like this, we should be able to look backwards and say, look what God has done. Look what he has done. Look what God has done. I think that too often, I'm not going to speak for everyone, but too often I lose sight of this. 
I get caught up in the now. I get caught up in looking forward. And don't turn around and look backwards. But look what God has done. And I think that we should be specifically thankful for what God has done. I'm talking specifically. I'm not talking, thank you, God, for today. Thank you, God, for this food. Do that too. But that's not what I'm talking about. We should be specifically thankful for what God has done. How often does your prayer life look like that? Not asking for anything, not just praising Him for what He has done in your life. How often does it look like that? How often does it resemble Psalm 100, verse 4, that says, Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. That doesn't often look like me. I don't often look like that. But should we, do we look backwards and say, look at what God has done, and then let, let that lead us to praise Him? We're going to come back to this on a personal level in just a couple of minutes, but I also want to shift gears just for a second, because as I started out this morning, I said that over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking forward in the, speaking as a local church, as Christ Reconciled Church. We're going to be looking forward and talking about what we hope to see God do, what, how we are going to seek to be faithful to what God has set before us. So what I want to do is I want to remind all of us of some amazing things that God has done. I hope you hear none of this as yay CRC, because that is so far from the truth. All of this that I'm going to run through is like, look what God has done. Look at what he has done. And I think this is helpful because there are very, very, very few people in this room that were here from the very beginning. As I look around, like one or two, maybe three tops. But myself included, like I wasn't here. But I, I want to sort of recount some of the things that, that we have seen God do. Some of you might not know that those that were initially seeking, to, like they went out to plant the church, went and told the former church, the, the church they were at, about their plans. And they said, you got two weeks, go. Within two weeks, God had laid a place and said, here's a place for you to meet. Two weeks. God did that. The people continued to pray and pray. God gave them a building. He gave us a building right in the middle of where we hoped that God would set us. God gave a building. And I think this is something that's easy to miss, but God continues to send people to CRC. Like we mentioned, that there's a, a lot of people that first planted CRC are no longer here. A lot of them have moved across the country to New Jersey, to North Carolina, to California, to all sorts of different places. Most for very good reasons. And although I can't say this was our plan, this is what God has continued to do, but we've remained. We're still here because God is continuing to send people here. God is doing that. And not only is it sending people but God continues to send 
the resources we need to do what we need to do. Like, this is, again, don't hear me say this is us because we've continually had the money to, to, to function, to do what we need to do. And this is crazy. Like, if you read anything about church plans, like, usually the goal is to be self-sufficient in terms of financially within four to five years. That's been it from day one because God keeps giving us money that we don't know where it came from. Like, we've had elder meetings where we look at the bank accounts, look at the budget, and it's like, how is any of this working out? <laughs> like, where is that money coming from? Like, there is seriously, I'm not even kidding. We've looked at the stuff and been like, how? We just did this project and that project. How? Because God continues to bless us in that way. And I don't understand it. Like, we can take no credit for that. That is God. Prayer nights. I really don't even know where to begin. It's just been incredible to see the ways that, that God has used prayer nights that we have had to both shape us, but also to answer in amazing ways. And there's tons of examples I could give. One always comes back to mind. We be, we begun to pray that God would send children to CRC. That we would say, like, God, send us kids. Like, we want to be able to minister to the kids in the area, to kids that are right here, that are part of the church, that are outside the church. God, would you send us kids? I don't remember if it was the next week or two weeks. But we had 25 adults here and 26 children. It was crazy. I'm sure some of you remember this day. It was crazy. Like, we were, I was standing outside here. A car pulled up. Three kids got out, ran over, and said, hey, what time should my mom pick us up? I'm like, who are you? Like, I have no idea. Like, who is your mom? Like, we had no idea. They were seriously popping out of nowhere, and it was incredible. That was not us. That was not us. That was God doing amazing things in response to leading his people to pray. How cool is it that we had to go and buy a baptistry? Because God was saving people and God was leading people to want to be baptized. It continually amazes me. I mean, if you read, again, this is not me tooting the horn of CRC. This is me saying, like, what in the world? God is doing amazing things. Because nationwide, baptisms are plummeting. Like, people are not being baptized, and it's really, really sad. If my math is correct, we've baptized 22 people here at CRC as a part of CRC. Some were here, some we went various places to do it. Like, this is incredible. God is so amazing. This is not me saying, look at CRC. Look what God has done here. Look at what God has done as a part of this church. Like, he has been at work here. God is doing this over and over and over again. He shows us that it's not us, but that he is doing it. Like, there's times when I think a lot of us have stepped back and said, like, man, what is God doing? Like, I just, I don't see it. Like, what is going on? Is, is God really doing something? He is. I think in times, like, I feel like discouraged I think of David, who, who likely wrote this. Like, his life was full of ups and downs. His own sin, other people sinning against him, his own sons rebelling against him. 
Saul trying to kill him, like all sorts of it. And even in the midst of that, he was able to say, look what God has done. Look what he has done. Look at, back to the first five verses of 105. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make his deeds Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. (laughs) This is someone who understands the sovereign, perfect plan of God, the provision of God, that God was the one doing it. Like, listen to that. Listen, listen to those declarations. Give thanks to the Lord. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing praises to him. Tell of his wondrous works. Remember the wondrous works. Remember the miracles. Like, let's remember what God has done the wondrous things that he has done. Again, we serve a huge God, the one that set the stars in the sky, the one that set the planets in orbit over and over and over again. This is the God who has called us into his marvelous light, the one that has adopted us as sons and daughters. And that same God has you right here, right now, this moment. That's not a happy accident. He did that. So now, I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to be probably difficult. Nick, you can go ahead and head on up here. I'm going to ask you to take some time, some real time, and praise God for what he has done. Five, ten minutes. Just spend it with God. Praising Him for what He's done in your life. Praise Him for what He's done as a part of this church. Praise Him for Him. I urge you to not get up and start moving around. To not think about what you're doing during lunch or during after lunch. But just to spend it with Him. Think of your last few days, months, years, decades. For some of you, there's a lot of pain there. There's a lot of hurt. There's been a lot of difficulty. But just the fact that you are here, right here, right now, is a sign of his grace. Praise him. I'm not saying it's always easy. I'm not saying it's always this happy-go-lucky thing. But God is continually faithful. He was faithful. He was faithful all the way through. He was faithful to Joseph, even though it looked really bad for Joseph for quite a while. God continuing to work out his beautiful plan. Again, please spend these just 10 minutes just praising him. I don't know if you need to get on your knees. I don't know if you need to stand up. I don't know what you need to do. But just spend this time. Verse 1 in Psalm 105 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, 
call upon His name. Let's call upon the name of the Lord. Let's praise Him. I'm going to be back over here. If there's anyone that's like, man, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know what this looks like for me. I don't know what this means. Come grab me. Let's talk. But spend this time, spend this time with the Lord.